All right, good morning, Ville Church. Yay. So many of you look so tired when you walk through the doors, and I see bright eyes, engaged minds, and you ready for a three-hour sermon? (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, if I've not met you, it's not going to be three hours. If you're new, don't worry about it. That was a joke. Uh, If you're new, my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Ville Church, and uh, I get the privilege to open up God's Word this morning. And uh, first, a few announcements. Would you open up your bulletin, and in your bulletin, you will see what is called a Connect Slip. And uh, if you are new with us, what we would love is for you to fill that out and uh, share with us any information about yourself, like maybe just an email address would even be awesome, preferably a name. We would love to meet you, shake your hand, and we'd love to give you a small gift just to tell you that we're so grateful that you're here to be with us this morning. A couple ways you can turn it in. Number one, in a moment, the ushers will come forward to take the offering. You can put it in there. Number two, at the back of the church is this little black box. You can put it inside any little black box that you find. And then at the, after the service, uh, out the doors right to your left is called our Connect Desk. And there'll be somebody there who would love to meet you, shake your hand, answer any questions that you have. Um, and we'd love to give you a little present. But the present is contingent on you going to the Connect Desk. Sound good? Now, if you are a part of Village Church, that Connect slip um, is also for you. If you need prayer, encouragement, you want to jump into a community group, you want to serve, um, also, um, if you have not listened to our daily Q&A podcast that is up, um, it's on our website, it's on the podcast, you can submit any questions that you have there. want to really encourage you to tune in tomorrow. The first two questions of the week are, what do I do if I have a family member who is a homosexual or bisexual? And the Tuesday question is, should I go to um, a wedding of a homosexual couple? So if you have any curiosity in those subjects whatsoever, um, go check those out. Subscribe to that. We'd love to um, help answer any questions that you guys have. So you can fill them out there. This time I want to invite the ushers to come forward. They're going to take our offering. And again, if you're visiting with us, this is not for you in any way, shape, or form. We don't want your money at all. If you're a regular attendee or member, we want all your money. I'm kidding. Um, This is for regular attendees and members. And uh, uh, we give because we are so generously provided for in Jesus Christ. So it's our privilege to give back a little bit. What I want to do is I want to pray, and then we're going to jump into God's Word. Um, Father, I just want to say, um, in behalf of every Christian in this room, every follower of Jesus, um, truly, truly thank you for loving us. Your love is perfect all around us, even in our homes, um, with our neighbors, our family. Um, perfect love is near impossible to find, but when we come face-to-face with Jesus, we see perfect love, and it casts out all fear. And Lord, I thank you that for every child of God in this room, despite what we've done, despite what we might do, um, despite our imperfections, despite our joys, whatever's going on in our life, that we can come to you completely safe, completely secure, and you fill us with love. Um, And so God, I thank you that we, of all people on planet Earth, are the most filled and secure people on the planet, and that is only from you. And Lord, I know I sit here with a group of people who have so many wounds that have been inflicted on us by family, by friends, by churches, um, by people that we thought we trusted. And Lord, you have been such an amazing dad to us and such an amazing healer, and you are measurably entering into those deep places of wounds, and you speak truth to us, and you encourage us, and you build us up in Jesus Christ. You declare to us that you love us no matter what, and then you bring measurable healing to the many wounds of our life. And so, God, I know many of us sit here today, and we need a lot more healing than we've gotten. But, Lord, we trust you. 
Um, and Lord, we want to invite you to do whatever you have to do so that we can believe and feel the truth that we are filled with love and that we're secure in Jesus Christ. So God, we love you. We pray that you would, um, as we open up your word, speak truth to us, allow us to think and to feel truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Open up your Bibles with me, Romans chapter 8. We are in the final sermon on our Divine Love series, and this will actually be the final sermon in our Divine Love series. Uh, Next week, we're starting a series called Impossible Love. We're going to open up 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to truck through that. It's an amazing, amazing passage of Scripture. It's the love passage. Remember, love is... Something patient. Oh, there we go. Good. Kind, etc. So um, if you've ever heard that one before, it's, uh, I promise you um, it will be as encouraging as it is challenging. So I want to invite you to come back. And uh, so we're going to be again in Romans chapter 8. Last week, we talked about loved people. Um, the people who are not loved are absolutely desperate for it. They hunt it down. And we gave two descriptions of people who are loved. Number one is that they're filled. Filled people are lacking nothing. Filled people are not desperate to go find love because they know they're loved. They feel they're loved. They believe they're loved. And the believer in Jesus Christ, so Christians, hear me. You are filled despite what you feel, despite what you believe. You are unconditionally, perfectly, beautifully, amazingly loved. This is where you say amen. Amen. That was kind of weak, but we'll go with it, okay? I, I believe that you'll get there more and more as time goes on. Uh, and so we talked about filled people. Uh, this morning, I'm going to give you the second description of people who are loved. People who are loved are secure. They're secure. There's two kinds of security. Uh, the first kind has to do with more security of your standard of living, right? Really, this comes down to money. Um, do I have my job? Do I have uh, my stuff? Can I eat the food I want to eat? Can I play the games I want to play with? Can I uh, play with my toys? Like, is my standard of living secure, right? And this is important because we all want to know that we know how much money is coming in. We, we want to know that that part of our life is secure. But people who experience insecurity with their standard of living, usually having to do with their money, um, what do they usually feel when that area becomes unsafe? Stress. Can I get an amen from someone in this room on that one, right? Little panic attacks, overly concerned, you obsess over it and you worry about it. And so security on this level, it's a big deal. Primarily not what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to talk about a different kind of security, and it's security in your vital relationships. And security in your vital relationships means this, that the people who are most vital to my existence as a human, typically my family, my husband, my wife, my mom, my dad, my brothers or sisters, often a small group of close friends, um, that when this area of your life is insecure, we do dumb things. People who do not feel loved are desperate. They're desperate. And you know what desperate people do? Dumb things. Desperate people hunt, often it's either sexual or it's overcompensating in nature, and they hunt for love because we are not created to feel and to believe and experience that we are measurably unloved. And God comes into this desperation, and he speaks truth and security under our feet and gives us an unshakable, secure 
foundation. There are some of you here that are just so desperate. And my prayer for you is that if you are a Christian, you would start to feel and believe the security that God offers you in Jesus Christ. And it wouldn't just be theological in nature, but it would be experiential. And it would ground your life because life happens People will wound you. Life is going to be difficult. And you need to feel and believe that you have a foundation that is secure despite what goes on in this world. So here's one of the ways that I know that I'm safe and secure with somebody. I can confess almost anything to them and my relationship with them is not in jeopardy. So some of you, you know that if they find out that one thing, the relationship's over. If he or she finds out that one thing, the marriage is over. If he or she finds out that one thing, even if I am humble and contrite and I change my life and I'm fully repentant, you guys know that if they find out that one thing, this thing is toast. That is an insecure relationship. But you know the safest places are where you can be 100% fully transparently you despite all of the lack of goodness that might be inside of you. And that person can look at you and say, you're safe. You may hurt me, you may wound me, but our relationship is not in jeopardy. And I just believe that we are created to be desperate for these kind of secure relationships. I think this is what's so beautiful about a mom and a dad is that the mom and the dad, I told you last week, my mom would look at me all the time and say, even if you fill in the blank, and she would, she would say some of the craziest circumstances, even if you do this, even if you are this, you know I will never stop loving you. And that is one of the most secure places you can be in our hearts, long and cry to be in that secure of a relationship. And I love that I can go to God at any moment of my life. It does not matter how ridiculous I've just been or how awesome I've just been. I can go to him. He does not think I'm better because I do a good job. He doesn't love me less because I do a bad job. He loves me unconditionally and securely. So I want to ask you a question that I'm going to answer for myself. As I was preparing this, I, th- I was thinking to myself, um, what are some places, Michael, where you feel unsafe, where you don't feel secure? Two, two places came up right off the top of my head. Here's the first. A group of four or more teenage girls. (laughs) The reason four is because three, they're still looking for a ringleader. Like when you get four girls, there's always a ringleader, right? And who are the most insecure people on planet Earth? Teenage girls, right? Let's just be honest. And when you get the most insecure people on 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 planet Earth and they have a ringleader, what do insecure people want to do? They want to make other people feel more insecure so they can feel better about themselves. So I will almost never, ever go up to a group of four teenage girls or more. It is like the worst thing you could possibly do. Anybody, can you give me an amen on this one? Am I alone here, right? It's like the scariest situation, and it looks like they're judging me. And I'm like, who are you to judge? You're going through adolescence. Like, come on. Like, really? Like, anyways, so... I'm in this circumstance apparently a lot. I find myself walking... But anyways, that was... For real, though, that is for real. I'm not joking. I just literally was sitting there thinking, why do a group of four more teenage girls freak me out so much? And it's because they're always judging me. Anyways, um, the second place that came up is actually someone's home. Now, it's, it's nobody in this church, so don't worry about it. You can try to figure it out. You won't find it out. But there's this family that's in my life. And I, it's, it's not you. Don't worry. Somebody raised their hand. Is it me? It's not you. Trust me. It is not you. Come on. Their names are Brian and Sandy. I mean, you probably wouldn't know them. <laughs> Joking. There's this family, and for whatever reason, my life uh, crossed paths with them every once in a while. And every time I go into their home, my words are used against me. Every time. 
And I haven't had the choice sometimes to not go into this home. Like I'm forced, I'm compelled because of circumstances. And every time I go into this home, I get the heebie-jeebies. I get all insecure. And I watch and calculate every single word I say. And I don't feel safe in any way, shape, or form. And here's the thing that just gets under my skin. They act like they love me a ton. But I know they don't. You can say, how do you know that they don't? Because people tell me the things they say about me. They tell me the things they say about me regularly. And it drives me nuts. Now, I'm not going to go confront them, to be honest. Like it's, they're kind of outside of the sphere, and it's just not honestly worth it at this point. But I, I can't change it. There's nothing I can say that will change what's going on in this circumstance. And every time I leave there, I feel unsafe, like I want to take a shower, I feel unloved, and I feel like I'm being slandered. Anybody ever experience anything of the sorts with anyone in your life? It is one of the most insecure places. Some people, you walk into your home, and that is exactly what you feel like. You feel like with your kids or with your spouse, right? And I go into this place, and I'm like, wow, I, I, just, I, I, dread, I just dread going there. And then I think to myself, this is nothing like what God does. It doesn't matter what I've done or how frustrating I've been. God is just the most safe place for me to be. And that's what I want for people when they come to church. And I think of 1 John 4.18. This is one of my favorite passages. Uh, some of you in your marriages and your home, you may need to just like soak on this one for a while. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Casts it out. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The reason I know that there is not love in this home that I go into is because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of being punished. I'm afraid of being slandered. I'm afraid of being gossiped about. I'm afraid of my words being used against me. And some of you in your own homes, you're petrified of your husband or your wife or your kids. It's because they have not learned how to love because regularly you're on the brink of being punished. You didn't perform. You didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. And perfect love, the kind of non-contingent love, this agape love, this sacrificial love, this love that gives its best despite, it's really, really, really hard to find on a human level. But when you find it, and if you find it in your vital relationships, it's one of the most beautiful things. But even if you don't, I want to just sit here and tell you this right now. Perfect love comes from God through faith in Jesus. It is the most secure, beautiful, perfect love you will ever find. In every one of you, you probably want your husband or your wife to be a little bit more safer to some degree. Or maybe your best friend, or maybe your mom or your dad. And here's what I want to tell you. They may, not, may never be as safe as you want them to be, but God, his love is perfect and will never, ever fail. Secure people fall into the arms of those they believe and they feel love them. So you will, in your worst moments, fall into the arms of those you feel and you believe truly love you, where you can be your worst self and the relationship is not in jeopardy. So Romans 8, <clears throat> Paul is going to be responding to very insecure people. And he, there's going to be four questions. And these four questions are honestly amazing. They get right to the point. They cut through all the junk. And here's what I want you to remember. These people are insecure. These are followers of Jesus who don't feel like some things are secure. They're wondering if God's love is secure for them. Paul is going to intrude on their circumstances and he is going to ask four questions. He's going to answer them. And his objective is that this would change their life. So my objective is Paul's objective in this is that, here's my win, is that we would put a final death blow to any lie that you have believed that has prevented you from feeling and believing that you are 100% secure in Jesus Christ. That is my goal. 
if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and there's any doubt or any hesitancy in any way, shape, or form that you were 100% secure, I want to put the final death blow to that. I want you to leave here knowing that you know that you know there is nothing that you could do, would do, might do, or anything that could ever happen on this planet that would make God love you less, be less committed to you, or make him reject you in any way, shape, or form. If you're in Jesus Christ, I want to kill that once and for all. And so uh, why would these Christians in Rome in the first century at all be insecure? And there's a few reasons. Religious leaders wanted them eradicated. Christianity was a threat to the empire. It was a threat to Judaism. It was a threat to secular religions. Government leaders wanted them silenced. Business leaders wanted them gone because they found that the more righteous people became, the more they followed Jesus, the worse their secular businesses would actually do. Worldly people wanted them compromised because their righteousness was a quiet slap in the face to their worldliness. The, the Christians, um, by their righteousness, convicted the, conscious, the consciences of non-Christians. And so here's the question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now immediately when Paul asked this question, here's what they should say. Well, the government could be against me, right? Um, religious leaders could be against me. Um, I just saw my friend executed because he followed Jesus. So if God is for me, then why isn't God intervening? And so, by the way, this isn't first century Rome. These are believers right now, brothers and sisters in Christ, who face the sword of Islamic fundamentalism, and they look them in the face, and they want them to reject Jesus Christ. And they could, in this moment, say, is God for me? Is God for me? And what would you, if you had a moment, just a private conversation before they slit their throat, what would you say to that person? God is for you. Would you say that? Could you believe that if you're on the receiving end of the sword and you were to ask God, are you for me? What would you say? So here's the lie. The lie is this. If God loved me, my life would be easy. If God loved me, my life would be easy. So let's just state a fact. Life is hard. And that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. And I'm, I'm amazed because there are things that we should expect are going to happen. And these things are devastating. These things are painful and they're gut-wrenching. And so here are just a few of them. And this is not easy for me to read. I don't want you to sound like I'm heartless. But like, these are just things that if you're alive, you will face these. Your mom and your dad will die. Your brothers and your sisters will die. Your close friends will die. Your friends and your family will hurt you in intense, painful ways. People you love will suffer for years. And we as Christians can't just gloss this over, act like it doesn't happen, because in the moment, people can legitimately say, is God for me? And we have to figure out how to look at them and say, God is for you. Nothing can be against you. And I want to give you a little secret. Because for the world, death is final. And for Christians, death is a transition. Now, we believe that here, and the longer we live, hopefully the deeper it makes it into our hearts, right? Before the believer in Jesus Christ, death truly is the ushering into God's presence. And for the world, death is the great unknown. It is the thing to be feared. It is the thing that makes them buckle. It is the thing that creates more anxiety and stress in them than anything else on the planet. People would, most people in this world would rather be broke than dead. And so we get to this place, and I just want to look at you and say, 
for Paul, God's love for you does not mean that your life will be easy. Now, at this point, somebody give me an amen because you know this is true. And yet, in the moment when our emotions are just through the roof and the pain is palpable and it's right in front of us, somehow we have to get to a place where we believe it. And I think through personal suffering, God is building a worldwide community of people whose love for and trust in Jesus are not contingent on Jesus making their life easy. All over the world, God is allowing people to suffer who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and these people who suffer are worshiping Jesus and their suffering. And this is an incredibly loud proclamation to everybody in the entire world that whatever pain I'm going through, Jesus is better. And whatever plan he has, I believe that the outcome is way better than the present suffering I'm going through. And I would choose this present suffering to get the outcome that is coming. Because I believe that God does not allow, ordain, or permit anything at all unless that thing he allows, ordains, or permit at the end of the day will work out for good or even the better for those who follow Jesus Christ. And so I step back and I'm like, look, brother, I have this moment where he's about to be killed. And I look at him and I said, this is a transition. Trust me. What you're about to experience, everybody on earth is petrified of. You stand, you face it, you honor Jesus Christ, and here's what I swear to you on my life, you will open up your eyes to Jesus Christ. I swear to you that. That's what they need in that moment. They need to believe God is for me, and his for me-ness is not about right now. It is about what is coming right after these moments. Because if God's love for me is contingent on me being happy right now, then God doesn't love anybody in this room. And if your life's been easy, wait. Because Hardship is happening. And so Christians, we step back and we say, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then here's his answer, okay? Uh, Because people are saying, God's against me. And here's what he says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not with him graciously give us all things? Here's the answer. How can you say that God is against you? He has given you his most prized possession on the planet. He has given you the most meaningful thing in his life, sacrificed it for your benefit. So human, Christian, who's asking this question, you're thinking too small. You think your greatest problem is your physical comfort right now, but your greatest problem is your soul because one day you'll stand before a righteous God in judgment and you need to have Jesus on your side. That is your greatest problem. You want to talk about love, right? He gave you Jesus. That is love. Love gives its best. Love sacrifices. And I love this. How will he not with him graciously, joyfully, opulently give us all things? If for 85 years in this earth life is hard and you get to live 10 billion years in eternity uh, in complete bliss and joy, is it worth it? Yes, this is why the Bible says that our present sufferings right, are far outweighed by the glory that's to come. When you experience what is to come, you will look back on this and say, That was easy. But right now, this is all we see. And so as the Christian, I look at, as a pastor, I look at you and I say, I'm just going to acknowledge, I'm going to get on your level, I'm going to say, life is hard, life stinks, life is painful. God has not rejected you. God is not against you. And if you believe that God being for you is contingent on your life being easy, you've totally, totally missed the point. You'll never make it. You'll never make it. So it doesn't matter what the government does to you. It doesn't matter what religious elites do to you. It does not matter what your friends or family do to you. God loves you. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have his Holy Spirit, you're secure. Question number two. Paul's going to bring us now into a divine courtroom. The questions that people are asking are, what happens when I die? What about my sin? And here's the question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Let me translate this for you. Is God listening 
to the accusations about me. People are lying. The government is lying. I'm being misrepresented. God, if you loved me, you would defend me now. So here's the lie that we believe. If God doesn't execute justice now, then God is not just. If God does not execute justice now, then God is not just. Can I share with you the implications of God executing justice right now? Everyone you love that does not know Jesus will go to hell. And there are no more chances. So let me just ask you a question. Would you endure a little bit longer if that might mean the person you love the most might trust in Jesus? Just a little? Would you endure for one more year? Would you endure for 10 more years? Would you count the patience of the Lord as salvation for those in your life? And this is where we get so wrapped up in the here and the now and the physical. And we say, if you loved me, you'd make me eat my life easy. If you were a God of love, you'd execute justice now. And God steps back and says, okay. Second Peter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. We go back to this question, who can bring a charge? Do you hear the misrepresentation? Do you hear the charges that are being set against me? Defend me, God. If you love me, you defend me. And he says, I will defend you, and I do defend you. Hear me. Like, the charges will not and cannot stick. Even if a human court charges you of guilty, of something that you didn't do, It can't stick eternally. What is a temporary charge on planet Earth? Because eternally, here's what I'm trying to tell you, no charge can stick against you. Even, catch this, even if you did it. Do you know why? Because it's God who justifies. you know what justified means? He declares you righteous or innocent. Here's the stupid thing about justification. You're guilty. (laughs) You did it. Like, you are guilty of cosmic treason. You have violated a holy God. And all of the accusation, all of the charges that Satan or human courts could bring about against you, they're probably true. And you know you're guilty. If you don't think you're guilty, you've just missed so much. I'm just, you're blind, okay? You're guilty. And yet God says, look, they can bring all the charges they want about you, and they can be true. But God, the ultimate judge, he has once and for all declared you Righteous. Some of you walk around, you've trusted in Jesus, and you believe God is shaming you and condemning you, and he's living with this constant reminder over your head, remember what you did, you are worthless, you can never be loved, I can never use you again. I mean, the lies that you believe that God thinks about you are overwhelming. And here's what scripture does, it busts into these lies and says, yeah, the charges are true, but you have been declared innocent and righteous, you're justified. And we just step back and went out. I mean, imagine the person, the Christian, who is guilty of sin, but believes they are 100% forgiven. And you stand before God on the day of judgment. I I really think this. When I stand before God on the day of judgment, I will be 100% weeping over my sin and what I did to Jesus, but I will have no fear of God because Jesus will be right next to me. Like, how is it I can feel so terrible about sin and yet so confident and comfortable in the God who loves me? Because God loves me and has declared me innocent. And so, yeah, the charges might be true, but it is impossible if you're in Jesus Christ for any of those charges to stick. Have you lied? Have you committed adultery? Have you murdered somebody? 
I mean, you name the sin that you could possibly commit, and I want to just look at you if you're in Jesus Christ, no charge will stick against you on the day of judgment in the final courtroom. You've been declared innocent of all wrong. You'll never be found guilty. Question number three, who is to condemn? Who can actually give us the final verdict of guilty? Now, these two questions are kind of going hand in hand. We're still in the divine courtroom. And the lie that we believe is that my sin is more powerful than Jesus' blood. People who say, God could never forgive what I have done, what they're truly saying is, Jesus' blood isn't powerful enough to cleanse me from my unrighteousness. And I just want to look at you and say, the blood of Christ can cover any human being, no matter what you've done, if you trust in him. That's it. So the excuse that I'm too far gone or God can't forgive me, the Bible just takes it, throws it in the trash and says, no one is too far gone. You massively underestimate the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse from unrighteousness anyone who trusts in Jesus. And so maybe you're here today and you believe this lie. You might be talking to somebody who says, I am unlovable. God could never forgive me. God could never love me. Here's your one-liner. You underestimate the blood of Jesus Christ. You underestimate it. The blood of Jesus Christ is not weak. It is powerful to cover the sins of all people of all time who would ever trust in Jesus Christ. And if it can cover that, it can cover your measly little sin. The blood of Christ should never be underestimated. And so when you stand before God, and God may, the person who comes before you, I imagine there's some kind of line and we're watching to declare people guilty. If you are in Jesus Christ, it does not matter what you have done. You are 100% innocent. You'll be declared innocent. It does not matter if Satan is standing at the left side, the left hand of God saying, look at what he did, look at what he did, look at what she did, look at what she did. Can you believe she did that? She violated you, he violated her. God will say, shh, shut up. I listen to Jesus who represents and intercedes for this person, and he says that person is trusted. So I, I have an intercessor, I have a mediator, I have a protector, I have a defender in Jesus Christ, so it doesn't matter what lies are hurled against me, the verdict over me will be innocence because I've trusted in Jesus. So who is to condemn? And then here's what he says. Christ Jesus is the one who died. All of your sins, paid for. Goes on. More than that, who was raised, God the Father accepted the payment, raised Jesus from the dead. If you want divine, heavenly affirmation that the payment was accepted, look at the resurrection. Number three, he says, who sits at the right hand of God. God has accepted the payment, loves Jesus, and listens to anything that Jesus says because he sits at his right hand and is completely trusted by the Father. And then I love this who is indeed interceding for us, who stands between us and the Father, represents us and declares our innocence to the Father and says, I paid the price for that son or daughter. They are 100% forgiven. And so I don't want to stand before the throne room of God without Jesus interceding for me. Because let me tell you, if Jesus doesn't intercede for you, you will be found guilty. And the only way to have Jesus intercede for you is to stop working for salvation and to trust in Jesus Christ. You will hear us say this over and over and over and over and over again. I'm amazed at how many people go to church year in and year out and miss this simple message. It's not by works. You'll never be good enough. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. And if you don't, you will stand on the day of judgment before a just judge and be declared guilty. The only way you will be found innocent is if Jesus Christ is interceding for you. He is standing between you and the Father representing you. Some of you in this room have no mediator 
and I am petrified for you. And you know, we say perfect love casts out fear. You should be very, very afraid of God if Jesus is not interceding for you because you're guilty. And the only difference between you and me, it's not that I'm better than you. It's that Jesus is interceding for me. How do I get Jesus to intercede for me? Ask him to save you. Trust in Jesus. Question number four. I love this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the question from the people would be, is there anything in this world that could make God stop loving me? Now, you know the answer, but I love this text. Here's what he says. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, here's what he's saying. Like, if all of these things are being allowed, uh, if God loved me, he wouldn't allow these things. And, and, and Paul says, okay, let's just make the point here, okay? Let's acknowledge what's happening to you. Tribulation and distress and persecution, these things are terrible. And you have believed that because God has allowed them, he has stopped protecting you and loving you. And here's what Paul wants to get clear. It doesn't matter how bad your life is. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. But then he goes on. And this is where it gets, I want you to hear the emotion in here, okay? So he quotes Psalm 44, verse 22. And the quote, uh, it says this, for, this is from Psalms. For your sake, we're being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And this is what the psalmist says to God. Awake, wake up, God. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Because when you go through physical suffering and you go through this kind of pain, what does it feel like? It feels like God has forsaken you. And I, I think the Bible enters into this and says, I want to honor how you're feeling. I want to acknowledge the human experience of suffering. It feels like God has rejected you. That's what it feels like. And the word of God imparts and injects truth into our brain. He goes on, why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Have you ever felt like that? Have you forgotten me? This is unrelenting. This has not stopped. Are you here? Like if you loved me, you would fix this. Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. I have nothing left. Our belly clings to the ground. I'm begging you, rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. This is the passage of scripture that he's quoting from. So I want you to hear this. Should tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, and now the person is feeling insecure, quotes Psalm 44, says this, as it's written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're re regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And do you hear the person complaining against God saying, we're being executed by Rome. We're being killed. If you loved me, you would intervene. And I love Paul's answer. Here's what he says. No. It's a rebuke. No. No. That line of thinking lies. No. It says, know this, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. See that word, three words, more than conquerors? Literally, it's hyper conquerors. It's overwhelming conquerors. It's, like, it's literally hyper is the Greek word that's used as the adjective or the prefix to conquerors. You're hyper conquerors. You're not just conquerors. I mean, you overcome. And if, they, if you're being killed like sheep to the slaughter, you know what you do? You hyper-overcome. You don't just sit there and weep. You face them head on and say, take my life. I know exactly where I'm going. You are a conqueror. And here's the deal. Uh, nothing. I don't care what is going on. I don't care how bad it is. Your famine, your distress, your nakedness, your tribulation, your persecution, your distress. I don't care what it is. You stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with that. And you believe with all of your soul that God loves you. Because here's what we know. 
you may die. And as soon as you wake up, you will go, oh, you do love me. Like, it is infinitely better on this side. Wow, being faithful to you for this short period of time was infinitely worth the blessings and the glory that are, be, that are going to be revealed. And you'll have this moment. Like, I, I know it probably won't be this silly, but I'll be like, oh, you're right. <laughs> like, oh, like, and that's what I look forward to. I look forward to this moment where in that moment where I face Jesus for the first time, I look back and say, being faithful to you, despite what people might have done, would have done, could have done, or did do, was completely 100% worth it. And he goes on, no. And all these things, we are hyper-conquerors through Jesus, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present, whatever you're doing, even the things to come, nor powers, physical, spiritual, nor height, nor depth. Let's just get spatial for a moment. You can go up to outer space. God's still there. You can go down to the core of the earth. He's still there. Nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. So I want to just pull back for a moment. Your life is going to be hard. The worst things you can imagine are going to happen to you. And you're going to ask in those moments, does God love me? Has God rejected me? Where is God? And there are going to be people in Scripture, especially in the Psalms, who have been right where you're at, if not even worse, and they're writing the same things. And here's what God wants to look at you and say, no, you are a hyper-conqueror through Jesus who is inside of you. There is no event or pain or distress or circumstance that you cannot overcome because of Jesus who's inside of you. And when you overcome, like Job in his suffering, you declare to the entire world that if the Lord gives or the Lord takes away, I'm going to worship him. And when you die and you close your eyes and you wake up and you see Jesus, here's what I think Paul wants to get through. It is completely worth it because the glory that you will be seeing and experiencing will far outweigh any present sufferings that you're going through. So Christians, I want you to be the most prepared for the most difficult things. And here's what I want you to prepare to do. Worship. Lift high the name of Jesus. Do not throw or wag your finger against him when life is hard. No, conquer those emotions. Conquer the lies. Conquer the lies of the world. Conquer the lies you believe. Conquer the lies of Satan. Overcome them. Kill them. Put them aside. And you believe to the very core of your being, you are loved purely and wonderfully, perfectly by God. And there's no fear in that love. How do we get that love? I love, uh, this is great to me. It's not by being a good person. I hope you hear that by now, right? Good people don't go to heaven. Bad people who trust in Jesus go to heaven. Good people don't get an intercessor before the Father. Bad people, sinners who have trusted in Jesus get Jesus as their intercessor. So here's what I want to do. This is going to be a precursor to whatever terrible things could happen in our lives. We're just going to worship. We're going to close with one song. And uh, personally, I know some of you are in the thick of it. The majority of you are not. Some of you have been in the thick of it. And the worst is still to come. But God loves you and he's secure despite that. Amen, Village Church? So let us worship and pray. Father, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. I'm just blown away by that. I want to say throughout so many periods of my life, if you loved me, you would. If you loved me, why don't you? 
If you were loving, you would execute justice now. Why don't you defend me in this moment? God, there are so many accusations I've hurled against you. And yet in every one of those, you have given me the strength to conquer and to be faithful. And Lord, when I have been faithless, you have still proven to be faithful. And so God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters in this room and our lives are so easy compared to what is happening around the world. So easy. And so Lord, I pray that we in this circumstance could conquer and overcome. We would be hyper-conquerors. And Lord, I think of Christians right now who are enslaved, who are imprisoned, and who are facing the sword. And Lord, my prayer for them is not even necessarily that you would make their life easy, but you would give them an overcoming spirit that faces whatever you have allowed, ordained, or permitted in their life in that moment, and they would declare that Jesus is their Lord and their God, and they will never, ever sacrifice or compromise worshiping him. And Lord, I pray, and I don't ever want our church to have to go through that, but Lord, we don't know what the future holds, and so I pray that same spirit of boldness and courage and overcoming that so many followers of Jesus throughout the centuries and even right now are needing, Lord, that you would give us that. And it would be rooted in this. You love us. And whatever sufferings we experience now, there are way infinitely more awesome glories waiting for us on the other side. And so, Lord, would you give us faith to believe that? We pray this and we worship you, the God who loves us, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.